So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Now, I'm asking for the spirit of revelation to rest on us this evening. We need revelation in the word. We need the word to become clear by the Holy Spirit. So open the eyes of our understanding. I pray for arrows from the Lord to go forth, to pierce us, to release understanding. God, let me get out of the way and let truth be released. Come and stand with me and hold my hand. Let me speak as an oracle, I pray. Good, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Okay, uh, let's take a look and turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to continue on part three of the necessity of singing. Probably end with this today. I, uh, as is the case with many subjects I begin to study, they just begin to expand as I study what the Word says. It's just always, I don't know why it surprises me, but the Bible is so full and so rich. The scriptures are so alive. It just seems like you, could, you just can't look at any subject without it expanding and light getting, you know, being released. And all of a sudden your understanding opens. You go, whoa, there's a lot more here than I imagined. And so um, we've done two weeks. First, the first week we just was simply an exhortation to sing. And I gave like eight or ten reasons why we needed to sing more. And then uh, last week, I spoke specifically about the new song and what the scripture says about the new song. And then this week, I want to finalize this, this subject with how the new song relates to the return of the Lord and what the Bible says about Jesus' return and the new song. And before we get to that in Isaiah 42... I've just, there's just a few more little details that I want to get across about singing to just sort of set the table, and then we'll discuss the, the new song in Isaiah 42. So you're in Isaiah 42. I've got verses that are going to come up on the screen, but I want to just kind of remind us and then give another few thoughts and then dive into Isaiah 42. So in Job 38, <clears throat> we looked at this verse last week. Job 38, when, when the Lord is explaining what he did in creation, he's saying to Job, uh, if you know everything, Job, then explain to me a few things. And it, you, don't, you don't want to have that conversation with the Lord. It's one of those, uh, he said, ready yourself as a man. Who is this that darkens the counsel with words without wisdom? That's what the Lord said to Job. I mean, just pow. I mean, you just... Trust me, that's not the quiet time we're looking for. But uh, Job 38, the Lord says this to Job in verse 4. He says, now where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And then in verse 7, it goes on. He says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now these phrases, the morning stars and sons of God... The morning stars singing, sons of God shouting for joy. It's speaking of the angelic authorities. It's speaking of the angels, every uh, level of angel, singing together. And here's what I want you to get. I want you to get this real clear. At the moment of creation, when the Lord is weaving together even even just matter, when he's bringing matter into being, when he's speaking and bringing matter into being, and he's weaving together the universe and the stars and the planets and the earth and the the different features of the earth. While the Lord is doing his work in creation, the myriads of angels, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, the innumerable company of angels, they are standing by and singing into it. They're worshiping the Lord and releasing song into the creation. Now, think about what kind of a climactic moment this was, and here's why. For who knows how long the Lord existed with the angels, now he's from everlasting to everlasting, he's always been, but there was a time when he created the angels. 
Now, he created the angels, and they dwelt with God in perfection for an unknown amount of time. And there was a, a, a formless void that had no light. Can you imagine the first day the angels see the Lord arise and begin to create? Can you imagine what kind of a climax that was? I mean, who knows how long they were in existence experiencing the beauty the majesty of the Godhead. But what about the moment when God stands up for the very first time and says, let there be light. And then the songs come forth. The angelic choirs with supersonic, that just means above what you can hear, and subsonic, below what you can hear, with tones that fill the entire spectrum of sound. And they're singing with choirs and choruses and harmonies and melodies. And the beauty of the song, it's giving body, it's giving richness to this atmosphere when the creative God is on the move releasing creation for the very first time. Can you imagine what that was like? Well, very intentionally, the Lord has the angels sing into the creation for this so that all of creation is woven together with the foundation of music. Music is woven into the fiber and the DNA of all matter. The morning stars were singing on the day of creation He's weaving the tones and the sounds and the songs into all that exists. And then science bears that point out. For everything, all created matter, it has tone. All created matter resonates at at different pitches. Whether it's, uh, you know, drywall or concrete or tin or water, it all has different pitches that it resonates out. There's a video I've just seen a piece of. It's called God Vibrations. What they do is they take a, a, a piece of metal, a little thin piece of metal, and they put a bunch of sand on it, and they send frequency through it. And the frequency starts super high and goes super low. And as the frequency get, gradually shifts, the sand that's on this metal plate, it begins to move. And it, and it vibrates, and it's, it's pretty interesting. You should maybe Google this. But it will vibrate into these different, these beautiful uh, patterns. These amazing symmetric patterns are all in the, the way that the, the vibrations move the sand. Well, what's that a testimony of? It's a testimony of what I've just been explaining to you, that song and music and sound is woven into the DNA of all created matter. And part of that's you. And you have a, you have a resonating thing in your heart for music, for sound, for song. And even if you're one that says, well, I'm not really into music, I bet you if we had a hidden camera... We could find you in the shower in the car, just lighting it up, singing it, singing it with the best of them. And so it's important for us to get this, that the DNA of everything that exists has at the foundational level music running through it, sound, song running right through it. Now, here's the thing about us. This issue of singing It's not only a part of our DNA, it's critical to our experience in the Lord. And as we kind of went over the last few weeks, we we talked about the different verses that command us to sing. We talked about the new song, how the, the new song is something the Lord will put in our mouth in a prophetic way, and it's also something that we can choose to to enter into. Well, one of the points that I didn't I didn't emphasize the way I would have liked to is this: that the easiest way to sing the new song is to simply open your Bible and begin to sing. See, it, you don't have to have this, you know, this supernatural prophetic thing going on. You already have an incredible, a, a supernatural prophetic word sitting right in front of you. The pinnacle of the prophetic word is written in the Scriptures. 
The voice of the Lord revealed through his word in the word of God. If you want to sing a new song, simply open your Bible. The Psalms are good. They're all songs. Open them and sing them. And you can sing a new song unto the Lord by singing the scripture. Well, singing the scripture is critical for us. I I think it's perhaps uh, one of the most um, underrated uh, revelatory keys that believers have just kind of missed. And and I want to not just encourage you, I want to commission you to begin to sing the word in your times in prayer and in your quiet times and in the prayer room. Open the Bible and sing the verses and watch how your heart opens up and the spirit of revelation rests on you as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs from the scriptures and how you're making melody in your heart and all of a sudden the spirit of revelation rests and it opens up to you in a way that you haven't had before. A friend of mine says it this way, you just gotta sing the word until you feel something. You got to sing it until you feel something. And then when you feel something, keep singing it. Keep singing it. And so often I, I know that I enter into song and it's like, man, I'm not feeling much right now. But if you'll, if you'll lean in, especially lean in and sing in the word, there's something that happens to your heart. Your heart begins to move. I put this, I said, I wrote this down. The power of the news song is the unction of the spirit upon the prophetic song as we sing with anointing the inspired word. We sing the inspired word with anointing. That's the power of the new song. Well, Psalm 119, it bears this out. Psalm 119, verse 54. I love this verse. It says this, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of of my pilgrimage. I love, I love that. Your statutes have been my songs. He's talking about singing the word. This is David. He's talking about singing the word, releasing the word through song, singing the new song, the song of deliverance. You know what I realize? So often we are so earthly minded. We're right here. We're stuck in the here and now. And, and all we can see is what's three inches in front of our nose. I mean, we just are so short sighted. And I realize this about myself. I need to get up. I need to get up and see from a different vantage point than the one that I'm living in. I need to see from heaven's perspective. If you want to see from heaven's perspective, sing the word. Sing the new song and watch it take you right up. You and I, were seated in heavenly places in Christ. It's time that we begin to view our circumstances, not just, you know, from this realm, but from up here. We need to, we need to hear the come up here and we need to go on up there as we sing the word and get, get uh, revelation. And so our vantage point changes and then, the, then our, our, the, the way that we view our situations change. And one of the key ways to do that is by singing the word. This is what he's talking about. He goes, your statutes have been my song in the house of my pilgrimage. Well, the house of my pilgrimage is talking about your, your flesh and blood body. Because in Psalm 84, he says, blessed is the man who set his heart on a pilgrimage. You and I, we're on a pilgrimage. We're on our way. We haven't gotten there yet. We haven't arrived, but we're on our way to see him face to face. And when, when we awake in his likeness, when we see him, oh, then will we be satisfied. And so we're on a pilgrimage. We're going to a wedding. I love to say that if you're not at a wedding, it's not over yet. We're on our way to to -to face-to-face encounter with every veil, with the flesh out of the way, encountering him completely unbridled. We're on our way. We're, We're in the midst of a pilgrimage to complete intimacy, to know as we've been known. We're on our way. And so right now, you're in the house of your pilgrimage. Your natural body is that. So he says, here's the deal. On my way to you, while I've been in this life of pilgrimage, while I've been seeking the Lord, one thing I did to sustain my heart, that's the idea, is I'm singing the word. Your statutes have been my songs. No, beloved, I want to encourage you. No, no, commission you. I'm I'm, I'm kind of over encouraging. (laughs) 
We're in a time right now we got to sing. we got to sing the word. we got to get revelation. I'm commissioning you to sing the word. In your private times, in our prayer room, wherever, open the scripture and sing it. And, in, and sing it till you feel something. Now it's interesting. This, this seems like, wow, he's really wanting us to sing a lot. Yes. But this is how God is. And I was talking to a friend this weekend and he said, you know, it's going to be interesting is at the end of the age, when the Jews are in captivity, when they're in concentration camps and they're being persecuted, and the only other guys that get thrown in there with them are Christians, and they find Christians who are singing the word and singing prayers and singing psalms just like they've been raised to do their whole life. You notice that, how Jews sing, they sing the word, they sing their prayers all the time. You know why? Because that's how God is. It's all song in heaven. It's song at creation. It's song in the throne room now. When David sets up the tabernacle of David, guess what it was based in? Worship. God, this is God's way. And we will be a singing bride before this thing is all said and done. We will be a singing bride before this thing is all said and done. I'm not just talking about David Crowder. I'm talking about you and me. I'm not just talking about the hot worship guy. I'm talking about you and I. We will all sing the songs of the Lord before this thing's over. This is where it's headed. And what will happen when Jews who've always sung their prayers, they've always had the songs, they meet believers who are singing, they're, they're singing songs of the Lord. And they go, now how did you, where'd you get that? Where'd you get this idea to sing? And we go, well, actually we're worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob too. We're just worshiping his only son, Yeshua. He's the one way. They're going to be like, whoa, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's a lot more to the story than that. He loves you and he wants you. He's gonna, the Lord's going to use the church as a provoker to provoke Israel to jealousy. And there's going to be all sorts of ingredients. I think maybe this is one of them. The way that the Jews get provoked, this is an ingredient, not the main way, but an ingredient. They're going to find people actually worshiping God in the way that God has prescribed to be worshiped with song. So I've been thinking about this. Now, you know, we have our natural body, this house of our pilgrimage, a Psalm 119 guy. But here's the thing. Can you imagine how good you're going to sing when you get the glorified body? I mean, oh, the vocal cords are going to shift. Praise God. <clears throat> there's, there's not going to be any more of this like me, 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 me. You know, we're not going to do any of that. You have to warm up at all. It's going to be, you just turn it on. Woo! I mean, it's just going to be there. Here's the thing that's so interesting to me. The angels sang in creation. In the throne room, they've been singing forever. Now here's the thing. Isaiah 26, 19 says this. When you get the resurrected body, when you get every uh, fiber of your being filled with glory, the very first thing you're going to do when you get up if you, if, you, if you die before he returns, you're going to come out of the ground. If you're here when he returns, you're going to go up and meet him in the air. And the dead in Christ and the alive in Christ, we're going to meet the Lord together in the air. And in a moment, we're going to be changed. Glory is going to fill every ember of our being. Oh, it's going to be a glorious moment. And guess what the Bible says? The very first thing we're going to do is sing. We're going to sing. How cool is that? I just think that's the coolest idea. Isaiah 26, 19, look at this. It's on your screen. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. Awake and sing. We're gonna come out of the ground, beloved. <laughs> We're gonna meet him in the air. Our corruptible is gonna put on incorruptible. We're going to go from to, you know, something real good. And we're going to be singing to the Lord. Singing with glory. Singing with anointing. Singing with unction. The song of the Lord. The song of love. The song of the abandoned heart. We're going to meet him in the air singing. That's so cool. I love that. 
Well, Zephaniah 3:17 says he's going to rejoice over us with singing. And this is a point that I made last week, and I just tell you the point, it's so cool, it's awesome. It's one of those things I don't exactly know what to do with, but it's, it's an awesome point. Not that I'm awesome, but the point is awesome. And here's, here's the deal. There's certain times when we've just got to get before the word and just allow it to create the, that holy awe in our heart. We just go, oh my, oh my, what is that going to be like? The beauty of what it was like in creation when the angels sang into the DNA of all created matter. Oh my. But I tell you, that day when we get up and sing, oh my gosh. Revelation 1.15 says Jesus has the voice of many waters. Well, Revelation 19.6 says the bride has the voice of many waters. Can you imagine this climactic moment in all created history, the resurrection, when we get up, we get the glorified body, we begin to sing, and the chorus from all over the earth, from the saints of ages past, all up into today, all up into the day of the Lord's return, the saints with one voice, they sing together. They're singing the song of the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord in concert. We're singing with the glorified body. It's the voice of many waters and we sing to him who has the voice of many waters and in an antiphonal response he sings back to us the voice of many waters from the bride singing to the one who has the voice of many waters I mean what is that going to look like beloved what is that song going to sound like it's going to be way better than the music we're experiencing right now I'll tell you that Oh, for that moment. That's going to be the, the most climactic and typical song that's ever been sung in all creation. When the bride, with a glorified voice, sings the song of the Lord to the beloved, and the beloved responds in an antiphonal response, singing his delight over us. The voice of many waters to the voice of many waters, back and forth in love forever. Oh, my goodness, beloved. This is our portion. This is what you're made for. You're made for beauty. You're made for majesty. You're made for stuff that shocks the senses. And it's interesting to me, at the center of all of this, he's woven in songs. He's placed music high in the creation. He's placed it very in a very important role in the end of the age, but, I mean, exceedingly high in all creation. Okay, turn with me now to Isaiah 42 then. And I want to I wanna work through for the next few minutes Isaiah 42 and what the Scripture says about the new song and how it's going to play out at the end of the age. Now, Isaiah 42 is a really important chapter on the end of the age and the return of the Lord. It's one that spells out the return of the Lord in in really explicit terms. And I want to just give you, I want to break down for you the five parts of Isaiah 42. I'll just give them to you. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. You can look at it later. And, uh, but... It's, it's really, when you see the progression of the chapter, all of a sudden you go, whoa, I totally get what the prophet is doing here. So Isaiah 42, let me just give you a, a quick, the, the quick five points of the outline, Isaiah 42. Now verse one through four, the, it's the father introducing the son. The father's introduction of the son, of Jesus. He says, behold, my elect one, in whom is all my delight... And he's introducing who the Son is. Verse 1 through 4 is the introduction of the Son. Now verse 5 through 9 is the Father declaring the Son's commission. What the Son is commissioned to do. And he describes him as one... He's going to give as a light to the Gentiles. He's going to open blind eyes. He's going to bring out prisoners... And he says, it's a new thing that I'm declaring. 
He's talking about the commission of Jesus. When he returns, he's going to actually rescue captives out of earthly prisons. Now we know through the gospel, those that are bound, that they're delivered from the kingdom of darkness. But when Jesus returns, he's going to return to Egypt, as we described. He's going to come to the heart of Egypt on that glory cloud. We described that a few weeks ago. And he's actually going to make an earthly procession across the nations of the Middle East. Well, one of the things he's going to be doing when he's making that earthly procession is he's going to be opening prison doors. He's going to actually be getting, going to concentration camps and letting people out of jail. There's probably eight or ten verses that give those specific details that he's the one that's going to release captives from prison. And it's not simply the figurative idea of, you know, the bondage of sin. It's actually the literal idea of opening the door of a jailhouse. It's actually the literal concept. Jesus Christ, leading the armies of heaven, will land on the earth. We've got to get this down because there, there's so many funny ideas about how the second coming is going to play out. It's going to land on the earth. He's going to make a trek across the nations. The kings of the earth are going to try to fight Jesus. They're actually going to try to fight him. Revelation 16, they, they gather to fight Jesus. That's a bad idea. It's a, it's a no win. <clears throat> He's going to, the, the, Isaiah 63 says he treads the nations. He's going to actually stride across the nations in the greatness of his strength. He's going to tread down the nations. Haggai 2 says he's going to overthrow the thrones of nations. Habakkuk 3 says he's going to have lightning and fire and pestilence coming out from him. He's going to tread over the nations. And on his way, as he's destroying the nations that have allied themselves with Antichrist, he's going to actually visit prisoners who are in jail and open prison doors. He's actually going to set the captives free on the earth at the end of the age. And that's what it says right there. He says, I'm going to open blind eyes. I'm going to bring out prisoners from the prison. Those who sit in darkness from the prison house. From the prison house. That's Jesus the hero. I love that. I love that. He is the hero. So 5 through 9 declares his commission. He's coming. He's coming to deliver those in bondage, to deliver those in, that are captives. Verse 1 through 4 is the introduction of the son. It says he's going to bring justice to the nations. Verse 5 through 9 says he's going to deliver captive Israel is the idea. Now let me just say this. Every injustice the earth has ever seen, every murder, every injustice, everything that's been done with injustice in it, Jesus is going to make it right. Every injustice will be made right when the Lord Jesus returns. He is going to bring justice to the nations. That's what verse 1 through 4 tells us. This, this issue of justice will be handled in full by the man Christ Jesus. Justice is a man. His name is Jesus. He's coming to bring justice. To all those who have been defrauded, he is going to avenge. He will avenge every wrong. Let me tell you something. If you've suffered a wrong, it hasn't gone unnoticed by the Lord. That's why the scripture says, vengeance is mine. Commit your heart to the Lord, because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'm telling you what. The Lord Jesus will not let one injustice go unanswered. When he comes, he will bring justice to the nations and he will handle every issue. Down to the most minute, he will handle every issue and bring justice to it. That's why we don't have to have an entitlement mentality. We can have a gratified heart, grateful for Jesus the judge who wars on our behalf. He fights for us. 
He fights for you. All right, verse 10 through 12, after we get the son's commission in 5 through 9, in 10 through 12, we get the bride's commission. What's the bride's answer to the fact that the man whose name is Justice is coming and that he's going to release prisoners? What does the bride do in response to the prophecy that there's a new thing that's going to happen? Verse 13 through 17, the son's answer. Oh, the son's answer is one where you just go, oh my gosh. There's a, there's a handful of scriptures. There's probably, I don't know the number, but there's 50 or so. When I read them, I go, oh my gosh. I can't believe what this just said. It causes you to tremble. You go, oh my God, I can't believe this. This is, this is too intense. This is one of them. 13 through 17 is one of them. We're going to go through it slowly in a minute. And then, final section, 18 through 25, verse 18 through 25. It's the explanation of God's judgment on Israel. Here's what I want to say. Israel is still going to experience the judgment of the Lord before this thing is finalized. We've got a little bit of a fantasy idea about Israel. We do things like, you know, plant trees and give offerings to unsaved rabbis to show our support for Israel. But what we really need to do is fast and pray for salvation to come. Because, beloved, there's another holocaust on the way. Zechariah is very clear. Two-thirds shall be cut off. There's another holocaust on the way. One-third of Jerusalem is going to go into captivity. Ezekiel 22, the Lord says he will gather the Jews into the midst of the city and smelt them like, like gold is smelted in a furnace. These are verses that have yet to come to pass. They're going to come to pass. If it's the Bible, it's true prophecy, and therefore it must come to pass. Now here's the thing. The Lord gives interesting detail as to why he does such a thing and who did it in this last section. This explanation is it's kind of it's amazing. Look at verse 24. I'll just read this real fast. Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Look at this. Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned? The Lord is going to deliver Israel into the hand of the enemy as a judgment measure once again at the end of the age. And he is going to deliver her from the enemy. And when he delivers her, it's going to be as through fire, and she is going to burn with bright righteousness and the glory of the Lord. She is going to give her heart to Jesus, and the very zeal of the Lord is going to fill her heart with zeal, and she is going to have a mirror zeal for the Lord until this all Israel is going to be saved, but not just our Western Christian version of, of saved. They are going to be on fire for the Lord Jesus, filled with the spirit of burning. That's what Israel will be all through the next age. Completely born again and filled with fire. His judgments are just and true. And the Lord will release the least severe measures of judgment to bring about the greatest number of salvations, the greatest numbers of souls into voluntary love. And so what he's got in store for Jerusalem and for Israel, it's not as a, a matter of, you know, uh, you know, anger or, or hatred. It's a matter of love. He's going to bring a pressing on her until 100% of Israel is saved. Well, that's a, that's a point to cause us to pray. We want to pray for as many to get saved now and as many as, get to, as can get saved through the, the times of great tribulation. We don't want to just go, well, that's how it is. We want to pray and fast for her salvation. He says, 
He says, it was the Lord, and it was because they sinned against him, they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. You know, this is the most unthinkable thing, but at the end, when it's all said and done, when all Israel gets saved, you know what? They're going to turn and say to the Lord, just and true are all your ways. Everything you've done has been just, and it's been true, and you are good. Even through all their wanderings and all the judgments they've experienced, they will turn and say, you are the one that brought the pressing on our lives so that we would turn to you. And we say, yes, yes, just and true are all your ways. All your ways are just and true. You are good. He will have them. He will have their heart completely. And so what's coming on the earth, the trials... That's why Jeremiah calls it Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to bring a great pressing on Israel unto her deliverance. And Isaiah 43 describes the deliverance. He says, now, thus says the Lord in verse 1 of Isaiah 43, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And that's where it's going to end. That's where it's going to end. You are mine. Now let's look at this. Let's look at how this thing plays out. It's critical we understand the the, the ways of the Lord and, and his activity in the earth at the end of the age. And critical that we get this point. Songs. Songs are all in it. He's going to use songs as the trip hammer for his activity in the earth at the end of the age. Stunning. Songs. Look at uh, verse 9, and we'll roll through verse 9 and read into verse 10. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So verse 9 sets the table for the new things that the Lord is now about to describe in verse 10 and following. And so there's a new thing that's going to hit the earth. And so what is that new thing? Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song. The new thing that the Lord prophesies of in verse 9 is this new song that he calls the nations to sing in verse 10 10 through 12. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands, that's those who live along the coasts, and you inhabitants of them. Let the wilderness, the wilderness would speak of uncultivated places like rural places. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages of that Kedar inhabits, Kedar would speak of the, the Arabian Peninsula and the areas of the Middle East. And then let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Selah would speak of the, the, the rocky places and, and, and rocky mountains and things like that. Specifically, Selah speaks of that, that, that city Petra, that rock city. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastland. The Lord wants the song, the new song, to cover the earth. He goes, there's a new thing I'm going to declare. He goes, he's coming. He's going to bring justice. He's coming. He's going to deliver those from prison. Now watch this. He goes, all this stuff I've declared, it's already come to pass. But now I'm declaring something that will come to pass, a new thing. And what is it? Sing the new song. Because I want the new song to cover the globe. I want it to cover the plains, the mountains, the coastlands, the islands, the city, the country. I want the new song sung across the nations. Beloved, the bride will be a singing bride before this thing is finalized, I'm telling you, she will sing this song. This new song that he's talking about in Isaiah 42, it's our portion, and it's the trip hammer to release, oh, the second coming upon the earth. Now flip over, just hold your spot right there. I just want you to flip back a page or two and look at this in Isaiah 24. We're gonna sing. 
Well, they sang in creation. He raised up Israel, a singing people with night and day worship at the center of their public worship reality, the center of their nation. He's called the bride to sing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as a mechanism to get filled with the Spirit. Around his throne day and night, there's songs they never cease. Well, at the, at, the, uh, at, the, at the incarnation, when Jesus was born, angels, they sang in the skies. At the first coming, well, guess what's going to happen? On the earth, the bride is going to sing unto the second coming. Oh, I love this. Isaiah 24. Now, Isaiah 24 through 27 are some really specific end time chapters. They lay out the activity of the second coming, the end of the age, all the way to Satan's judgment in Isaiah 27. But look at verse 24. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. Where? Where shall they do it? They shall cry aloud from the sea, says the New King James. But the New American Standard and the NIV say, from the west. There's going to be a song sung from the west. The song of the Lord because of the majesty of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about the bride getting wowed by the glory of the Lord. I mean, the bride getting alive in heart, flowing in intimacy, and the majesty of the Lord filling her senses, and she begins to sing. You know what? I don't think it's any coincidence that the singing, the worshiping prayer movement in the earth is based right now in the West. I mean, there's prayer going forth across the globe, but the singing-led prayer movement, the worshiping prayer movement is based in the West. Now, isn't that unusual? Well, not that unusual because Isaiah 24 says it. They're going to sing for the majesty of the Lord in the West. You got to get this, beloved. There, there's something about it when the verses quit being like cool verses, and then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, we're like, we're like, we're like living in the fulfillment of those verses. Like those verses aren't just about them somewhere sometime. They're about us singing for the majesty of the Lord in the West. We're singing the song of the Lord. Well, here we are, night and day, 24-7 for five years, worship-led prayer meetings. The only way that I can tell you that I got here is I don't know how I got here. God got me here to lead people in worshiping the Lord with singing and praying. I never knew anything about this verse. I didn't know any Isaiah 62. I didn't know any of that stuff. I, I just wanted to do a house of prayer. I don't know why. Well, how do you do it? You do it with songs. Okay, I'm in, singing. And here we are five years later, singing about the majesty of the Lord. And where are we? In the West. You could go, that's pretty coincidental. I go, whoa, that's a real one. I look at that and I go, no, this is real. This is legit. This is what the Lord is doing. Well, they're going to sing the songs of the Lord in the West. And, and, and then it says, therefore, because of the songs that are going forth in the West, therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light. That's the New King James, but the NAS says, in the East. What's he talking about? He's talking about the song that's rising in the West, the incense that's going forth in the new song and the prayer movement that's going forth in the West. Right now, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, an influential force that's going to go across the nations till in the East, in the 1040 window, across the nations of the East, they're going to glorify the Lord. Beloved, this thing is going to cover the earth before it's all said and done. That Isaiah 42, the, the songs that are going to go to the coastlands and the islands and the nations and the mountains. I'm telling you, this thing is beginning to happen. Starting in the west and heading to the east. Well, this is interesting. Well, look what the next phrase says in verse 16. From the ends of the earth, we have heard songs. This is in context to the second coming. They go, they've been singing all over the earth. Well, what have they been singing? Glory to the righteous one. 
Glory to the righteous one. I just happen to believe that Isaiah 42, 10, when, it's, when he says in verse 9, I'm going to do a new thing, therefore sing a new song, that there is this culminating new song that's going to be sung all over the nations of the earth. Well, we see it a little bit in Revelation 14. The 144,000, they learn the new song from heaven. And then they teach it to everybody else is the way I see it. They're the only ones who can get it. And then they teach it across the nations. And that new song, I think we get a phrase of it in Isaiah 24. One little phrase, glory to the righteous one. Well, I want to know this. What is going to happen when Jesus, the fiery bridegroom, has, who has been waiting for full intimacy with his people since before creation. What is going to happen when the bride in sync by the unction of the Spirit all across the nations of the earth and around the globe, when she with one voice, the sound of many waters, sings the new song in concert, welcoming him back? What will be his response? Look at verse 13. One of the, I mean, this is just one of the verses you just go, oh my gosh. The Lord will go forth like a warrior, like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout, yes. He will raise a war cry. That's the second coming, beloved. I'm telling you, there's all sorts of, funny ideas like you know you see the movie and the people they disappear or whatever it's not going to happen exactly like that beloved he's coming back like a warrior Jesus the bridegroom is the king who is the judge and he is going to come to vindicate his bride he is going to come to make all the wrong things right he is going to come to release justice across the nations and when he comes he's coming like a warrior clothed with zeal look at this he'll raise a war cry he'll prevail against his enemies Look at verse 14. Here's what the son says. He goes, I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both gasp and pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and hills and all their vegetation. I will make the rivers and the coastlines and dry up the ponds. I will lead the blind. Here we go. He's going to take them out of prisons. I will lead the blind by a way they do not know. In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness light before them and the rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do. And I will not leave them undone. They will be turned back and be utterly put to shame who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods. Jesus is going to come back with the fury of a fire that will devour the adversaries. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10. Here's the thing. Get your mind around it. Picture it. The beloved longing for love. Jesus, he's longing for love. Longing for love for his bride, longing for partnership from eternity past. And with one mind and one mouth, the bride across the nations sings together. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Glory to the righteous one. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And the voices of many waters from the bride, can you imagine what it's gonna do that day, that, that day when something moves in his heart. And he says, I have held back a long time, but not anymore. I'm not holding back anymore. I'm coming for my bride. I'm gonna slay all the enemies of love. I'm gonna make all the wrong things right. Listen, what happens when the lion of the tribe of Judah, when he says, I'm not holding back anymore. Here I come. <laughs> You gotta get this. He is coming with fire in his eyes for you. He's coming with fire in his eyes to vindicate his bride. Oh my goodness. He's coming at the sound of the new song. The sound of the new song. Yeah, 
you and I, we're going to sing. And the Lord is going to be so provoked. Oh, my Jesus. He's going to be so provoked. The lion deprived of love is finally coming into his garden. Can you, I mean, can you get the picture? The lion of the tribe of Judah finally getting what the father promised him. The nations is his inheritance. He's waited a long time, but now he will not relent. He will not restrain. He will not hold himself back. He says, I'm going to pant and gasp like a woman in labor. I've been in the delivery room recently. Have you been in there? Some of you ladies know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just a bystander. The Lord uses the example of a woman giving birth. And that incredible pain and, and, and bliss, it's, it's, you know, it's what the scripture says. For the moment, it's agonizing, but in a moment, she forgets because of the joy of the baby. The Lord is going to pant and gasp like a woman in labor, releasing a war cry. He's going to deal out vengeance on the enemies of God. All the enemies of love. He's going to get, he's going to get everything that's hindered love, and he's going to destroy it. He's going to remove everything that's hindered love. Oh, beloved, this is our portion. This is the one that we sing to. This is the song we're going to sing. Glory to the righteous one, and he's going to come. I love one translation. It says, he's going to come and be the hero. Oh, I love that. This is what we get to do. This is why singing is so critical. It's in the fiber of creation. It's in, the, it's in the, the first coming through the angelic heralds. It's in the throne room from forever. It's woven into your being. It's the first thing we'll do when we're resurrected. And I tell you, it's going to provoke the Lord in his second coming. The songs of his bride as he sings, as she sings her love and her abandonment to the Lord. This is it. We're going to give ourselves to this. The songs in the West for the majesty of the Lord so that the East will glorify the Lord until the ends of the earth sing glory to the righteous one and the Lord comes like a mighty man of war. Oh man. That's a good story. It's not just a story. It's way better than just a story. It's our reality. Oh, so good. Okay, amen. Let's go ahead and let's stand. Oh, so good. Oh, it makes me want to sing to him. You like it when I sing? He goes, oh, so much. He goes, in a minute, you're going to drive me wild with it. I go, yes, yes, Lord. Our bridegroom loves to hear us sing. It provokes his heart. Come, Holy Spirit.